Welcome to Holistic Ambition, where we talk with visionary leaders who are redefining what it means to be ambitious. We cover ways you can live with more well-being, meaning, and fun in your career, business, and relationships. I'm your host, Stephanie Toma, life coach for ambitious professionals and author of Confident Introvert. Today, I am excited to announce Vicky Louise. She is the UK's leading feminist time productivity and rest coach, innovating outdated time management systems and tools that simply have left us overworked, busy, and less productive. After graduating from the London School of Economics, she worked in finance, tech, and before after that, founded her coaching company. She helps individuals and organizations solve their time problems while achieving more and hosts the top 1% Feminist Time Productivity and Rest podcast. It's been downloaded over 600,000 times. So I'm really excited for us to talk because we initially connected in a completely different career chapter. And I'm so curious, Vicki, for you to tell us about making that jump into something entirely new and finding that niche. Yes. Also, I should let people know the podcast has been rebranded. It's called Hack Your Time, um, but that's fine. Um, so yes, I reached out to Stephanie. I can't even remember if I cold reached out to you or I posted in a group or whatever it was, but I used to have a tech company that was all about connecting people through events. And I somehow found Stephanie, we connected and I roped her into to hosting an event or two. And then fast forward, I mean, even, so she's living in Austin now, which is where that business took me. We ended up getting into a program in Austin, Texas. So we relocated there in case you can't tell from my access, my accent, I'm not American. Um, and then, I mean, I was working 80 plus hour weeks. We were hosting three to five events a week, plus being in this program, plus growing our business, plus, you know, like really doing all the things from this mindset that like the more hours I work today, the faster I will be successful. And to no one's surprise, I like completely burnt out. And my husband was like, we're closing this business. And I was like, why? Like, so I was so unhappy and miserable. Um, And I remember walking with him actually in a hike in Austin and being like, I love our purpose. I just wish it didn't require every single part of me, which by the way, it never did. I just didn't know how to build like that's what I'd been taught that's what we've been told is like hours equal success so we ended up closing that business and at 30 I went back to England we moved back in with my parents it was, it was like the ultimate fail we'd had like five six hundred events around the world we were like you know fairly public a lot of our friends knew what we were doing and it was like we closed everything it was like the lowest of the low for me which is where I rose from that was like the springboard into coaching which had actually started back in 2016 um, and then, you know, put on the sidelines for this business. And yeah, I mean, it was what, what happened in that next year was wild. I reached my like three year financial goals in six year in six months and then doubled it six weeks later and then another hundred K two weeks later. And I was like, wait, success doesn't take time. Um, and so that's laid the foundation for my work around time hacking. Yeah. And it sounds like you more or less quantum leaped where, you know, there's this contrast in your trajectory of the struggle that so many entrepreneurs subscribe to, which is like, okay, let's put in the work, let's put in the time, the money, the effort until you deplete yourself. And then you're like, wait, like, 
was I that close to success if I kept going? And it sounds like you kind of flipped the scripts like a phoenix, rose from the ashes and had exponential success in a very short span. So I'm curious if you were to identify, let's say one thing, a few things that made a difference for you, what were those things? Yeah, I think one of the one of the biggest things was when I was at that low low, I decided to invest $25,000 in a coach, which was like ridiculous because I don't think I'd even invested that in our startup business. Um and 100% on credit card. And you know, it was it was like actually a stupid idea. Like it was a bad idea. And at the same time, it was like, it put me onto like, do I back myself? And not only do I back myself, am I willing to fail and work in a bar to pay this off if this doesn't work out? And I realized I was willing to. And I I think investing at that level changed something in my brain immediately. Now, I don't think we have to financially invest at that level. So I'm not, I don't think that this works for everyone. And I did actually have people contact me afterwards because I kind of became known and there's coaches and it's really like, I want to be the next you. And I was like, but our brains are different. Our reactions are different. You can't just do what someone else does and expect the same results. So I, I do want to get clear that I'm not saying the answer is to invest more than you can afford and take on huge credit card debt. But for me, it kind of took away all the excuses and I had to face the undeniable truth that I did back myself. And that's what it exposed. So you know, like I backed myself to, to go into that much debt when I was waking up at 5am to drop my husband off at a catering job, where he was earning pretty much minimum wage. And I was just going to be working from the computer building my coaching business. That was a huge thing. And also, essentially, everything else is what, what I teach. Time hacking is about focusing on your brain, your decisions and your relationship with fear and failure. And because I was in that mastermind container at the time, and because I went from essentially I mean I was the lowest paid person the underdog I was called that into the most improved player I could see what was different between me and my peers and and those were the three things that were different my brain my decisions and my relationship to fear and failure so that's what it was (laughs) yeah so for anyone listening right now that maybe they are tempted like hey take my money if I can you know 10 100 exit um I'm curious how you knew or trusted that, you know, the mentor that you selected was right for you. And then, um, yeah, we'll kind of start with that question. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I I think I actually never used the mentors process. I have to be honest. Mm -hmm. I remember like into the second round, admitting that to someone, like, I just don't follow her process. But for me, it was about, I want you to imagine the seriousness that suddenly happened to my business when I went from like in my bedroom on the computer after I dropped him off into like this room of people who already had 20, 30, 50, 60, 100K businesses. So for me, it was more about who I was surrounding myself with than the particular mentor. Um, And even I do think in the coaching industry, there is a little bit of like a glorification of mentors. And I think we should be glorifying our clients, not our mentors. And that's something that I speak about a lot in my community and being non-hierarchical. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of answering the question different to how you asked it, because it wasn't the mentor that created my results. Otherwise, everyone in that community would have created the same results I created. Um, 
So yeah, I would I would say for anyone listening, when someone is saying I will 10x or 100x your results, they're lying to you. What they should be saying is like, you will 10x or 100x your results. Um, here, here's how. And I would be mindful of the 100x your results. Um, I, I think the year before my business was like at 9k might sound really fun to go to 900k but I can't imagine the changes um that would have been required to happen I think it's fun to quantum leap and also you just want to check like that you are wanting that leap instead of like society wanting that leap for you Mm, yeah so I'm hearing that it's kind of like through osmosis like the container that you were in other people and being able to step into oh this is my peer group yeah or like the five people that you spend the most time with and you know when it comes to let's say being in a peer group and like being like allowing yourself to be lifted up and and not necessarily saying oh yeah the mentor did all this for me they created the space the container and you know I'm curious about let's say that someone um watching right now is you know, we have a couple people that could be watching, right? People that are like, wait, like I want to reach that pinnacle of success in coaching. We also have people that are like, wait, my time management isn't ideal. How can I improve it? So how did you determine that time management and particularly feminist time management Mm. was going to be what you were going to go all into? Yes, it was. It was when I sold out my one-to-one practice and I was thinking about a community space that I wanted to create. And I thought like, so I'd focus on anxiety and procrastination that had been my work before. But actually a lot of my clients did end up like doubling or tripling their businesses as can happen when we learn how to manage anxiety and procrastination. Um, And I really thought like, that was the main sentence that hit me in the face was like, it doesn't take time. And my whole life, I made decisions based off of like, it takes time to produce what you want. And that slowed me down and diverted me and took me sideways and round and round in loops. And that's why what I do is not time management. It's time hacking on purpose, because I think time management is another form of like busy work. Time management was created, you know, over a hundred years ago around at a time when women didn't work. Um, and so I would say it also evolved with me. Like the feminist angle really came up when I was pregnant. I was put on bed rest um, and I really didn't want to be. I was in the red for my business that year in terms of my investments were greater than my income. My husband was a full-time student. We were living in France. I was pregnant um, and I just really wanted to create financial safety and security for us. Um, but at the same time, there was a part of me that was hit with, oh, if I still worked in London in finance, I'm seven weeks pregnant, I wouldn't want to tell my manager, like, what would my options be? And from then it kind of opened up, like, our entire structure around time and work is not considerate of women, not because people hate women, simply because what the workforce looked like 100 years ago was different, not just in terms of gender, but also let's speak about, like, now we talk, we talk about neurodiversity, which was something absolutely not considered then. Now we have jobs and careers that couldn't have even been imagined, like people watching this that want help with their time. Your career did not exist. My career did not exist at a time when the rules around time management were created. So I would say I speak about like feminism, but also it's like working parents, it's neurodiversity, like the reason why it's time hacking and not time management is because time management is the answer for so few of us 
Um, so if you are someone that's watching this and is like, I've tried to make the perfect plan. I've tried to wake up an hour earlier. I've tried to start on a Sunday. I've tried the Pomodoro method. I've like, hello, like it, it's not you. <laughs> it's the whole time management industry. And I refer to it as an industry, much like the diet industry, um, because I think we need to acknowledge that it is following that pattern of like, there's a thousand plans. And if any of them really work, then we would just use that one instead we plan hop. And that's a big, a huge waste of time. Yeah, it sounds like this customization of really redefining not only the time you know management industry, but also women are working. And even the fact that you had that thought, oh, like I'm pregnant, I need to support my family. That's a progressive thought that a hundred years ago, the average woman was not necessarily thinking. So, you know, when it comes to this concept of being time poor, right? You know, people may be familiar with like, ah, oh, finances are not where I want them to be. But what does it mean to be time poor? And why are so many people time poor? Yes, thank you for asking that. Yes, time poor essentially means like you don't have enough time. One of the concepts that I speak about also is time debt, where we're like borrowing against our future and we're putting things off. We're saying yes to more things today that we don't have time for today. And so we keep borrowing against our future. Um, So we become time poor simply because now this is going to get some of you. We keep saying yes to more things, but you know what's fixed? Time. Time is fixed. There's 24 hours in a day. We can't change it. We can't control it, which is why I think it's so laughable that we have this whole industry to try and change time when time is like the known variable. It's us we have to change. Um, so we say yes, we have more roles than ever. And I was speaking about this at a workshop yesterday, actually. Not only are we, you know, siblings, parents, carers, partners, friends, homeowners or renters or social drinkers or, you know, gym goers, but we're also now social media managers, even if that has nothing to do with our job. We all are on multiple, we're like, we're managing at least four inboxes each. <laughs> uh, we are photographers and videographers. We are, there's so many things, you know, appointment bookers and schedulers for all the different kinds of appointments travel and itinerary planners, point collectors, credit card researchers. Like there's so many things that we do now that we just did not do 20 years ago, even not even just 20 years ago. But what's not changed is time. And that's one of the big issues is we live in this culture of like more is better, more, more, more money is better, more success is better, more people is better, more clothes is better. And that has led us to like doing more is better. And that's why we are so time poor because the time hasn't changed and what we expect of ourselves has. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard the quote, time that you enjoy wasting wasn't wasted. But, you know, I'll even give a personal example of, um, you know, when I was living in San Francisco, 2015 to 2020, spent a lot of time going to happy hours. And, you know, it's really easy to go to social events every single night. And, you know, some of them are really fun. Some of them are okay. But I know for me personally, when I really doubled down into entrepreneurship, into my business, I started saying no so much more. And it wasn't that it was like having less fun. It was just like redefining what fun means. And then with that comes new relationships, new you know, different people resonate with the kind of person that is more precious with their time. So I'm curious if you could kind of go into that in terms of when people start to make more intentional decisions and maybe even going from being a yes person to 
putting boundaries around their time, um, what can people expect or how can they make that a more seamless transition? Yes, I think one of the core beliefs that has to change is this idea that time equals results. And therefore, the more time I spend on something, the better result I will create, particularly around relationships, right? If I think the more time I spend with someone, the better a relationship we have, and then I spend less time with that person, then I'm having to deal with essentially saying I'm going to worsen my relationship with that person, um, which is not true, right? So many of us have people that we've not connected with for like a decade and we see them and we're like, it's like nothing changed. And then you have like the person maybe in your team that you speak to like every day and you're like, I don't feel more connected to you just because I spend more time with you. That's not how it works. Um, So releasing that is a huge part um, and communicating. Now, for me anyway, communicating that. So it's like, not only am I making this decision and, and me changing my mindset around like, if we're going to be best friends, we have to text every day. But also, I want to communicate with you. I still love you. This is just like what's changing for me. Um, and I think the other thing that I would say to anyone looking to, you know, evolve their personal time culture and change, you know, their time boundaries is be gentle with yourself. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to offend someone. Honesty, openness, like those are the pinnacles of a good relationship rather than the time spent. So as long as you're willing to be like, hey, like there might, I think that I'm pretty sure there was someone that I forgot to have this explanation with and then heard through the grapevine that they thought I was pissed off at them um, versus like, oh, and then just being willing to be like, hey, I'm not pissed off at you. Here's what's going on. Um, And just that open dialogue is, and that honesty and that trust is way more important than the time spent. So you're going to be, you're going to make mistakes, value what you value, get really clear on what you value, disassociate the time equals anything narrative and, um, you know, create open and honest conversations. That's what I would say. I love that call to, you know, make the changes that you're going to make and then tell people, you know, as it makes sense, as you find it relevant. Hey, by the way, I've shifted priorities and I still care about you. And this is how I'm going to show I care about you. Maybe instead of a daily text, it's going to be getting together for brunch twice a month Mm -hmm. or something like that. So, you know, I'd love to hear how you define wasted time. Like what is wasted time? And then why do people waste time? Yes. I also, just before, based on the last question, one of the big shifts that I did was I stopped I didn't want to be responding to messages anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but, t- but allowing to teach people, teaching people that if you've always been available is a huge thing. But for me, that was a big time waster. And now my friends just don't message me, they call. So just because we spoke about in person, but I wanted to drop that. Mm-hmm. Okay, about time wasting. And I will tell everyone, and I hope this is okay, Stephanie, but I do have a free guide on how to stop wasting time. You can go to vickylouise.com forward slash guide and download it. Um, on the four biggest time wasters and how to overcome them. But how I define wasted time, people, and you said this, like time wasted, that quote that you said before that was so That you enjoy is not wasted time or is it? (laughs) Well, depends on what your priorities are. But for me, and in the work that I do and having coaching of hundreds, if not, I don't know how many people at this point, around time, um, I would say the biggest time wasters are not things that you do. They are things that you think right? The biggest time wasted is the time spent putting yourself down. You can tell me that you've completed Netflix in a week. That's fine. 
that's very different to spending a week putting yourself down, telling yourself all the reasons you can't have what you want, you don't deserve what you want, you're not worthy unless you do all the things, you should be giving to everyone else, like spending time in that time guilt, that self-guilt, that self-shame. I would say those are the biggest time wasters because it's not just the minutes that pass, it's also the habits that are created and the mental habits that are created. That impacts your next week a lot more than like a week vacation. In fact, a week vacation, if done right, will will fuel you, right? Rest when done right will fuel you. And we feel so guilty about those things versus, that, and it's and yet we completely accept that we can talk shit to ourselves. Sorry, I hope it's okay to swear. That's okay. <laughs> Um, so we completely accept and normalize. I, I was speaking at this workshop yesterday and someone said, well, I'm always like mean to myself because then I perform better. And I'm like, do you? Because if you think back to high school or any school and you think back to a teacher that was nice to you and a teacher that wasn't, which one did you perform better for? And it was like, oh, okay. So then if, if you're someone who's been like, no, 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 I must be mean to myself to succeed. I really want you to question that. That is the ultimate waste of time. That's such a powerful point to bring up. And, you know, even in your messaging, you know, something that was really subtle that maybe some listeners picked up on was that before you were talking about, you know, people who procrastinated, people who put things off. And now your messaging is very positive. It's the result. It's what you want. It's, oh, you want to be productive. You want to rest. And, you know, tied in with that is, you know, there are different tools like NLP, different ways that you can very intentionally frame your phrasing and your thoughts. And, you know, people oftentimes think about, you know, instead of being a human being, being a human doer and like, okay, how do I waste time with the tasks that I'm doing or not doing when really the thoughts that we think provide the energy behind everything that we do. So even if you're doing all the things, why it could be falling flat is because your mindset actually, you know, deep down subconscious level, maybe there's this belief that's not serving you. So until having that, like a sort of, it sounds like you're inviting people to slow down, to be intentional, to take fewer actions, but ones that are more aligned that really pack a punch and so, you know, this kind of answers the question that we were going to talk about, well, why time management isn't the major solution. It's ultimately um, a, a sort of mindset issue, right? Um, and I'm curious if you were to kind of elaborate upon any other things that, because, you know, you've flipped a few different things on their head <laughs> in this conversation already. So I'm curious if there's anything else that let's say people come to you for, and then the answer that you give them is not what they're expecting. Oh, I mean, I had someone join last week and she was like, I can't wait to be here and to figure out my to-do list. And I was like, and she's like, where, you know, and, and to get like the perfect plan. And I was like, okay, take a breath. She was like, and when we explained and my clients and fellow hackers explained what was going to happen, she was like, I just feel like immediately uncomfortable because I've been told that there's like the perfect plan out there that's going to feel great. And so I joined thinking I would get the perfect plan and now I've discovered it's not the plan. So sometimes it can be a culture shock for people because what we do speak about in this room and in this program is very counter to what's out there. But hey, if what's out there is working, then we wouldn't still be looking for solutions. Um so that's a huge thing. Another thing, another big thing that comes up a lot is our relationship to rest and, you know, seeing rest as something that has to be earned or something that takes away from our success. Rest and play, actually. Um, another thing that comes up is 
that I question and, and that we challenge inside this community, even around coaching, is this idea that, you know, your thoughts drive your results. And that means like your thoughts have to always be good. And it's like one of the things we speak about in this room is that you just need 1% belief. Like it's just another way perfectionism sets in when we're like using coaching as like, okay, I'm just going to like get the perfect mindset. It's like, no, no, no. You need to know how to operate without the perfect mindset. Um, So that's a big one. Um, what else comes up? I mean, there's a lot of unlearning. There's a lot of um, an, an understanding, again, that like actually the answer 90% of the time is going to be kindness to yourself over cruelty to yourself and a lot of compassion for the side of us that wants to hustle. Because, you know, I mean, I was the ultimate hustler and compassion for the side of us that wants to be lazy and compassion for the side of us that's afraid of failure and compassion for the side of us that's, doesn't want to make the decision because they're afraid of getting it wrong instead of what we're often taught, which is like, just make the decision. <laughs> just take the failure. Just step out your comfort zone. It's like, okay, well, that sounds fucking terrifying. I'm just going to go back and retreat further. Mm, and this is another layer of the feminist angle or the, the feminine honoring, right? Where it's less about this sort of in, internalized dictator that's like, hey, do this it doesn't matter how you feel, keep going. Like, even if you're tired, like you have to earn your shower, you have to earn your rest. If you want to eat, just write five more pages and then you can. It's, you know, it, there's almost been this gamification of productivity where it's disembodied, you know, mm-hmm. and that maybe it's all in the mind where there's so much research, so much, so many studies that show that dropping into the heart space, the energetic resonance of the heart has so much, you know, so much more reach. Mm. So I love that you're really tying this all together and encouraging people to, you know, question, wait, so you came into this container thinking that you were going to get, okay, here are your top five to do items. And and now, you know, step A, B, C for each one go. It's like, no, there's going to be a greater level of embodiment. So yeah, I'd love to even hear your thoughts on embodiment in decision-making. Um, I mean, I don't do much around embodiment. There is like definitely some somatic conversations that happen, but how how I speak about decision-making is really like, it's like you're at the start of a race, right? And there's like a whole track ahead of you, maybe like riding a bicycle and you want to know where all the curves are and the bumps are. But you don't want to make the wrong decision. You want to make the decision that's going to be right for all the terrain. And what I teach my clients is like, make a decision because you need to make the decision to gather data. You need to make the decision to know like, oh, actually this route, this path is not the best path for me. And I think we're so afraid of making the wrong decision that we don't make any decision that we never never get that data. And the example that I'll give here, this is, I mean, there's many like this, but I started out as a dating coach and I had been single for 10 years and I started dating and I was like, dating is hard. Who knew? I thought this was going to be the answer to all my questions and being in a relationship and living with a partner, which I mean, we lived together after a few months and um, this was came with challenges and Obviously, I needed to hire a dating coach and not, or a relationship coach and not be one. Um, but that started me. And I think I did that for like six weeks before I was like, oh, this isn't a thing. And then I moved into like, oh, well, my anxiety, my panic attacks, I've been able to help through coaching. That's what I'll do. Um, and that became the thing. And then from there, became time hacking became the thing. And now I'm doing time hacking for individuals and for organizations and like allowing that constant evolution. And I think the biggest thing that stops us in decision making is thinking that decision is forever. 
Um, and that decision has to be right forever. And no decision, very few decisions will be right forever. So yeah. That's... And I think giving yourself the freedom and the flexibility to, you know, you were curious about dating coaching. In retrospect, you're like, I needed a dating coach at the time. <laughs> but right, to, to be able to try it on and actually six weeks. So I'm let's say that there's someone who wants to try out a new business idea. And they're looking to you. This is probably a question you've literally been asked. Well, wait, so how long should I give it? How do I know when to pivot? Should I give it six weeks? Should I give it six months? Should I give it one year? Like, what would you say to someone who is like, okay, I'm ready to begin to try new things, but like, how long do you really dive into something before moving on? I love this question so much because we give so much weight to the length of time and it's not the length of time. And maybe this is the embodiment piece that you are speaking about. It's like trust. Trust that you will know as you go. Someone else might have stayed in that business for six months or six years and created a success out of it. But like, there's no right or wrong path. There's no like morally superior way to grow your business. There is just a willingness to step onto that terrain or, you know, to take that first bicycle like spin and to go and like put your helmet on, you know, take care of yourself, put pads on, but also allow yourself to like, experience through the journey and it is I was speaking with someone about this last night who literally wants to leave her job and is like but I don't know what's next and I'm like of course you like let's be very honest none of us know like like even me now with my business like I don't know what it's going to look like in three years I definitely didn't know I would be going into companies two years ago that wasn't even on my agenda um so it's not important like the length of time is not important. It's what's important is building that relationship of trust with yourself that like, I trust myself to be very honest about what isn't, isn't working. And I trust myself to get closer because the real work is unlearning what everyone else wants you to do. You like, I say to people, like, typically we know what we want. We just have a layer of like, my parents wouldn't be impressed or my partner thinks that I shouldn't or my best friend or, you know, like whoever, they're going to have thoughts about it. So by starting that journey, by being willing to make the wrong decision, because typically I would say the first decision is going to not be the forever decision, Mm -hmm. just like the first boyfriend probably won't be the forever boyfriend um, or partner, then it's going to allow you to like the everyone else's volume is going to go down and yours is going to go up and your intuition is going to go up and your connection to your purpose is going to go up and there is no no way when I started coaching in 2016 that I even would have thought that I would have coached around time because it was my huge problem (laughs) um so I would say that to people yeah and how powerful is that to you know, turn down the volume of other people. Well, you can still care about these people. They can still be in your life, but being able to tap into that innate wisdom that each individual has that has been buried or clouded. So, you know, what I'm gathering from a a lot of what you've shared is is that is the true gift Mm -hmm. of tapping into this knowing of how to utilize your time because you know, and it's almost like a lot of people are pretending not to know. So what a gift that you give people that people know how to use their time. Mm. And, you know, I'm curious how you define ambition. Mm, Yes. I think I really define ambition as desire. Like I really just think ambition is desire. 
And what I love about like that kind of definition is it's less about the doing, like desire itself is yummy. Um, And I think ambition is like a spectrum, right? It can be like a spectrum of like, it can get to an unhealthy level and it can get to a, a low level. And I think understanding that we're constantly moving through that, it's not like a fixed being based on hopefully your desire of what you want your ambition to be and again like we just spoke about I think it's about unlearning other people's expectation of your ambition so that's mm-hmm. what I would say ambition is desire a desire to be something a desire for something like a desire to create something but that's how I define it beautiful so desire and you know when it comes to holistic ambition what does that mean to you it means like really connect it, it's like really connecting to your desire it's like your internal no filter no people pleasing no external I mean listen those things are innate unfortunately in women thanks to how we've been socialized and and also you know all different genders to be honest but um but really it feels like holistic ambition is really about like your self-defined desire and mm. and I also I want like I the reason I use desire is I've also pulled it away from like just work because I think often we think of ambition as work and I think we can ambition be ambitious about like our personal lives and our relationship to ourselves and all of that stuff as well yeah I love that how you know you even talked about you know getting into dating coaching getting into all these different sorts of you know niches community and it's all relationship driven And now you're focused on the relationship with self and time. So how beautiful that desire is really at the root of all of that. Um, So, you know, you did mention a way that people can sort of, you know, get a free gift from you. We'll put that in the comments if if you want to share that. And then the best way for people to stay connected with you. Yes. Like I said, I think a lot of what you'll hear out there about the biggest time wasters are not the biggest time wasters, unfortunately. Um, And what I created is the four biggest time wasters and how to solve for them. They're not what you think. It's not social media. um, But I would say these account for about 80% of time wasted. Um, And so it's like a 10 minute video that you'll get plus like a download and you can just go to Vicky Louise. That's V-I-K-K-I-L-O-U-I-S-E dot com forward slash guide and you'll get it straight to your inbox i also have a podcast called hack your time um you can connect with me on linkedin uh vicky louise v-i-k-k-i louise (laughs) and also um i'm on instagram at feminist time coach thank you for tuning in to holistic ambition This is Stephanie Toma saying goodbye for now and inviting you to take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.